I'm related to Napoleon. <laughs> I'm related to Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, and Charles Darwin. I'm related to Tesla and Tolstoy. That's what my day and A chart revealed. If I went back enough in time, several tens of thousands of years, I was going to be related to these people through this very circuitous route. It's part of, I think, that marketing ploy that DNA companies use. They want you, they say, look at the geniuses you're related to, with the hope that I now look at myself in the mirror and go, wow, Bob, you're more impressive than I thought. You got that little bit of genetic code in there. I think that's also the reason a lot of Jewish mothers used to remind us when I was growing up that Einstein was Jewish. They wanted us to go, oh, yeah, you got a little bit. Somewhere on a chromosome is dangling a little E equals MC squared possibility there. So you know, that's part of it. It's, it's giving you the sense of connection. But I have to say, it really doesn't do a lot for me. As I look back and saw those little genetic markers that they said meant I was related to some of these people, I really wasn't interested in who they deemed a genius because they make a determination. I was really curious about what was the character and the nature of the people from whom I descended? Who were my ancestors? Would they, would I have been proud of them? So I mentioned on, on, on Rosh Hashanah that my DNA just said I was a diaspora Jew. That's it. And as I told a lot of you, I mentioned it, I know nothing really about my family after they got off the boat. They never told us. So I have very little history about who I am, and my DNA revealed almost nothing about who I am other than I'm related to Napoleon. Okay, no, right. Uh, so, I figure I get to look back at the expanse of Jewish history, because it's all mine, because I'm part of it, and I get to pick and choose my ancestors. I get to look back and wonder which group I descended from. And my love of legend starts me there. Now, I know some of you may think it's sort of odd that a guy who really loves science really begins with the legendary characters of our people. But that's where I like to begin, because in part, I realized that those legendary characters were written by our ancestors. Remember, those stories were written by somebody, and I think they are paradigmatic of different things that they were seeing at their moment in time. So I start with the story of Abraham. We started with Abraham. So there was two Abrahams that were articulated in, our, in the Torah. The Abraham who said, kill your son, and said yes. And there was the Abraham who was standing before God when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, no, we're going to argue. The obedient Abraham or the strong, bold Abraham? Two paradigmatic figures. From whom did I descend? The wandering in the desert. That mythic story sitting in the encampment, father and son arguing. Do we go forward? Or do we go back? Do we retreat where they give us cucumbers and melon, it says in the Bible? 
go back to slavery, or we go into the future. Of those two characters, from whom do I descend? Now, Jewish history is fraught with other moments when ideas and attitudes are being fought about. I think about, and I survey it, I think about Maimonides, a great rabbi, a philosopher. Maimonides, who was moving Judaism into a new thought experiment with Aristotelian philosophy. There were those who were drawn to Maimonides and those who burned his books. Where were my ancestors? Were they throwing the books on the fire? Or they were trying to protect them? And Spinoza, excommunicated, likely brought into the great synagogue in, in Amsterdam. And the ritual I've read of other excommunications, they extinguished the candles one by one as they read the edict of him being kicked out from the Jewish community. Were my ancestors standing there helping to block out each of the candles, reading the edict, waiting for him to be excommunicated, or my ancestors standing and said, no, this is wrong. We must stand up. I wonder. Unless you think that it's only been within Jewish history, it's been also our response to the history around us and how rabbis have responded. People today think, often think that rabbis are too political, that their sermons touch on modern policy. But no, this isn't the beginning of that. During the Civil War, rabbis spoke for slavery, and they spoke against slavery. Reverend Raphael, they called him reverends, it was a rabbi. He was a rabbi saying, he said, slaveholding is no sin. And Rabbi Einhorn said, it's a sham. It is deceitful. It should be reproached. From which rabbinic tradition? Where were my ancestors? And during the civil rights movements, when some rabbis were told to stay in their offices by their congregations, and other rabbis were willing to march like Joshua Heschel, where were our ancestors? Where were mine? I would love to believe that when I look at my genetic code and I think about all the ancestors who contributed to it, that they are always standing on the right side of history. But that's a fantasy. They were on both sides. The right side at times, and likely the wrong side. Perhaps in their moment in time, they weren't even sure which side to be on. But I also have to assume there are those who didn't want to take any side. Not that they didn't know which side was right. They knew the right side. They just didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to take a risk out of fear, fear of losing status, perhaps, or losing their business, or, or physical harm. Perhaps they were afraid what their friends might say, or they'd be fired for their jobs, or anti-Semitism. Or worse, perhaps some of them didn't even think it was their responsibility, that the solving of the problems were somebody else's responsibility, not theirs. They were waiting for somebody else to stand up and do what was right. I wonder about my ancestors, the people from whom I descended. I wonder, what would they be doing today? 
We're living in polarized times. Tension exists and seems to grow. Racism, anti-Semitism, an environment when hate speech and prejudice is seeming to be more and more acceptable. A time when racial injustice has become so acute that football players and team owners feel it necessary to make a bold statement. A time when people are turning the clock back on women's rights, when there are those who deny science, allowing our worth to grow more desperate to survive. And the list goes on. This isn't about one person. It's not about one election. We are witnessing events that have been evolving over time. The seeds of anger and discontent were planted some time ago, and they've been nurtured. And while progress has been made in our nation, the move towards justice is not simply a straight line. An environment that has welcomed equality and openness can change. The arc of justice, the arc of history bends towards justice. It only bends towards justice when people are pushing against it. If they stop, that arc can go back. When the pressure lets up, it can move. Achievements can be lost, and openness and equality can be forgotten. So while I may wonder about what my ancestors would have done, the real question becomes, how do we respond? This is our moment. We don't need to ask from whom we descended. What we need to ask is, where do we stand? What do we stand against? What will I do? That's the question that Yom Kippur calls us to ask of ourselves. It asks us who we are. What's our essence? What are we willing to risk? And the more difficult the moment in time, the more clear our essence becomes. Like many people, I have a photograph of my family. I have multiple pictures of my family in my office. And there's a family that's, there's a photograph that sits on my windowsill that asks me a question every day about what's my essence. It's a family photograph. My kids and Terry are in it. And there are two older women in it that look like grandparents, like grandparents of our kids, but they're not. They're not related to us, nor are they related to one another. They are linked by courage and love. One of the women, Jean Oserin, saved the other woman, Anna Mae Bosnak, during World War II. Not euphemistically, but literally saved her life. She took her and others. She made 10 to 12 different trips to the Belgian border to take Jews who were being hunted by the Nazis out of Rotterdam and save their lives. She distributed ration cards. She delivered foodstuffs. She transmitted messages. She carried arms dropped by the Allies. She worked with the resistance. Ultimately, the war ended, and many years later, she was recognized by the Dutch government and eventually by Yad Vashem. And one of my greatest honors as a rabbi was being present at that service. I was able to play a small role in helping getting certain documents to Israel, and with that, I was able to be there watching the sanctuary that day. For five people were being honored. Two were still living and three had died. But in the room were the people they saved, their children, 
and their grandchildren. It was a powerful moment to see how life can be transformed. When we took the interfaith trip to Israel, I've taken folks to the wall where her name is inscribed because as we walk through Yad Vashem, which is a, a, a memorial and a museum to what happened during World War II, the evil that marched the face of the earth, I want people to remember that there were people who were willing to literally risk their life to save others. I had occasion to be having lunch with Jean and some other people, and somebody turned to her and said, Jean, why did you do this? Why did you risk your life? You didn't have to do anything. You were 18 years old. And she sort of looked with this quizzical look. She understood the question. She said, because it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. What else could I have expected of myself? Jean didn't see herself as a hero. She wasn't doing it for accolades or honor or money, not for praise or self-aggrandizement. Her fact, her parents didn't know. Many people didn't know for much, much later. She did it, she said, because it was the right thing to do. And while others knew what the right thing to do was, they didn't. She was willing to do what was right. And as a function of that, she saved lives and she changed the world. So I look at that picture every day. Every day I walk by it and I ask myself, what's my essence? They took risks that fortunately most of us will never face. Dangers that don't exist today and I would never compare our time to theirs. They were living in moments literally of life and death. Of the 30 people in the resistance cell she was in, 15 were captured and killed by the Nazis. We live in a safer age. We live at a time that still needs our voices. What are we willing to risk at this time what are we willing to stand up for when the values of equality and justice are so core to our, our, our country seem to be under assault? But we know if we get involved, there's going to be a risk. It's not life and death, but there is risk. I don't want to, to minimize that. If we speak out, if we confront injustice in our work, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, fighting for somebody's rights doesn't come easily. Protecting the marginalized has consequences. Standing up or standing, kneeling in protest has repercussions. We may risk status or friendship or opportunities or pride. And while many of us look and see the world and are displeased, we might wonder, is it my time to act? Can my contribution make a difference? Am I the right person? We may worry and, and wonder, what if I'm on the wrong side? Or worse, what if I'm on the right side and I fail? And given that no situation is, is simple, there are multifacets and different ways to look at it. We can keep on turning it and turning it. Do we use the excuse of, of more complexity 
to abdicate our responsibilities? Do we convince ourselves that others could do it better? Or if we just wait patiently, things will correct? Do we believe and do we allow ourselves to believe that as long as we're not contributing to the problem, we're OK? It strikes me that it seems easier for many of us to be silent, to wait. But then we need to think of the voice of Elie Wiesel, who reminded us, we must take sides. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must intervene. Wiesel said, whenever men and women are prosecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place at that moment, that place and moment must become the center of the universe. And if we imagine that the world will magically right itself if we wait, if we're patient, we need to hear the words of Martin Luther King that he wrote while in the Birmingham jail. He said, time itself is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. More and more, I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than have the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not nearly for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. We have been reminded throughout the ages by prophets, old and in more recent times, King, Wiesel, Isaiah, Amos, that righteousness needs to flow like a mighty river, that we must beat sores into plowshares and learn war no more, that we must protect the widow and the orphan, to help the needy, to give shelter to the homeless and to food to the hungry. We need to stand up against oppression. Ours is not the first generation to be called to silence the hatred or protest the injustice. Yom Kippur asks each of us, in our own way, to meet the challenges of our age head on. Yom Kippur calls us to be our best selves. People who are descendants will be proud to call their ancestors. Yom Kippur asks us to make a pledge to live up to our own values and ideals, not because it's easy, not because we're going to get rewarded, not because we'll be honored or own money, but simply, simply because it is the right thing to do. For each of us shares the responsibility, and each of us leaves a legacy.